This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Happy New Year. It is 2019, and this is the year that we've said we're going to read the Scriptures. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. For those willing to buckle in with us for the ride, we're going to try to read every single book along the way. But we've got different ways. If you happen to have a, a more busy week that you can check in with us, as we talked about earlier, in focus readings or daily readings. But there's a couple things I wanted to lay kind of as uh, assumptions. Uh, anytime you read something, it's very important you know uh, what it is that we're going to see in this text. So if you want to open your Bible, you certainly can. You can get right to Genesis. It's where we're going to be. But a couple things I wanted to make sure you knew about my convictions uh, about this text. So that you just know I'm, I'm coming clean to you about how we're going to walk through this. Here's the first. The first assumption I bring to you anytime we look into this text is God's word is without error. So as we look through this, God's word is without error and he doesn't change his mind. And if you've got your pen or pencil, you just want to kind of make a mental note, here's where I'm getting at. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. God wrote this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So again, my first assumption as we go forward, and I will bring this every time we look to this text, God's word is without error and God doesn't change his mind. Here's the second. The second is God's word speaks through two kind of unique aspects, if you will. One is his instruction, or some of you might know that as his law, and then he also speaks through his gospel, his gift of deliverance. Now again, if you've got your pen at the ready, you want to take a mental note, here's the, the passage we're drawing that from. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. St. Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia. He said, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all those who believe. So again, now we're at two assumptions. God's word is without error. God does not change his mind. And the second is that God's going to work through his instruction, his law, and also his gospel and deliverance. He's going to give us ways that we might live and show us how it is that we might actually accomplish that in his gospel, which comes to us uniquely in Jesus Christ. And then the third premise, all scriptures point to Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39 records it this way. You search the scriptures because you think in them you will have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. We're in Genesis today, but I want you to know as we walk through, you will see Christ at the center of all these things. But I didn't think it was appropriate for us to start a year going through without you knowing the assumptions I bring to the text. If you have different assumptions about the text, you may go somewhere else with it. But we come knowing this is God's word. He didn't make mistakes. He doesn't change his mind. He has instruction for us. He works through his son, and everything points to Christ. So let's go right to the beginning. Uh, turn with me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
God begins his work in the world we know by creating. It's kind of a fun thing. Remember creating as a kid, scissors and paste and different things that you would do? Some of you probably like that. Some of you ate more paste than you want to talk about. Uh, but lots of us had different things that we'd be excited But God begins by creating. And it's his voice. Don't miss this. God speaks a vocable. And in speaking that vocable, things happen. Now, over the six days of creation, and we went through in our reading this morning, Genesis 1, 1 to 31. And over those six days... Uh, God establishes relationships, relationships that we're going to follow throughout this whole year. In fact, the book of Genesis details the relationships we have on three different levels. The first is God and his creation. So he sets up how it is that the creation should look to its creator. The second is God and humanity. So how do we as human beings made in his image, Genesis 1 verse 29 Verse 27 and 28, 29, as it talks about our role, how do we create back to God? And then third, humanity relating to creation. How do we actually see? (laughs) You know, a person who listens to this online will have no idea why we're laughing. But here's the thing we'll hope. They'll be so excited by the energy that you're exuding, they'll want to come just to find out how much fun we have here. So we'll leave it at that. We won't tell them. It'll, it'll be something when they come, they'll say, I'm visiting because of that sermon. And you'll know, that's the one. And you'll be able to share with them the fun that we have here. So God's got these relationships, God and creation, God and humanity, and then humanity relating to the creation. All that's said in Genesis. So as he moves forward and establishes his relationships, we look then to verse 31, the end. So after God made the relationship... It's very important we know there's nothing wrong with creation. And God saw everything he'd made, and behold, it was very good. Remember I said one of my assumptions is God doesn't make mistakes. God's word's without error, and he doesn't change his mind. So when God made it, it's exactly how he intended it to be. Yet, into this world there are false teachers. There are those who would push other directions. There are those who say, well, did God really say... Enter the great deceiver. Enter the one that the scripture will later identify as Satan bringing down Adam and Eve, causing them to doubt the provision of God. Remember that first relationship was God and creation, then God and humanity. God told creation, I've made everything for you. And the first thing that happens against God is doubt. It's rebellion against God's provision that he would take care of things. So what about you? Do you fully trust in God. Do you think he has everything laid out for you? Do you hold that what you have in life is sufficient for you? Have you been given what you have on any given day? Well, there's a couple who heard about God's provision. They've enjoyed all the splendor of creation. They've seen it set from day one. They've seen wildlife and scenery. They've walked, they've hiked, they've seen different animals. And then they took a pause. And as they took this pause and they had the chance to kind of question a few things. Well, the couple is the one we've already alluded to. That couple who paused is Adam and Eve. You see, they walked, they talked, they saw creation, they saw all of its splendor. They paused and they said, well, we didn't get everything. God held back something from us. So we move to Genesis 3. The deceiver comes forward and says in Genesis 3, but the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. The deceiver is talking about God's instruction. Remember we said God would talk through instruction or law and then through deliverance. Well, his instruction said you could have everything, but don't eat from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in so doing, you would die. So we've got instruction. And the moment we have instruction, there's always someone who wants to do something different. Any of you ever go to school? Don't tell me which side of it. You have seen both sides. You've seen instruction, and then you've seen the other side where someone does. Well, did the teacher really say? When they said the final assignment was due January 15th, did they really mean January? Because I don't operate on a Julian calendar. Have you ever tried that with your teacher? Some of you are like, oh, a new one, great. It won't work. Well, the text continues in this way. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Doubt creeps in that God didn't have enough to provide for Adam and Eve, and so they decide to do it their own way. Adam's not there to remind Eve to trust in God's provision. Eve doesn't believe that God's got enough, so she's going after it in shares. So I don't care which way you splice this up one side and down the other. Who's involved? Two people. They're both guilty because they didn't trust in God. So please let all the arguments that will happen around the coffee pot after this service, well, it was really Eve. It was really Adam. Brothers and sisters, we are in this thing together, and God is in there with you. That's where Genesis is going to take us. See, neither Adam nor Eve trust, and so because of that, in the face of their rebellion, in the face, they took a perfect relationship. They had everything, and they threw it away because they were chasing something else. At some point in your life, you have come across someone who has more than you. I'm guaranteed of it. And you thought, if only I had what they have, then I would have. Whether or not you thought it for a split second or you thought it for an hour or you thought it for months or weeks or years, then I would be happy. At some point, you maybe got a couple of things that they had and you realized what? <laughs> You're not happy. Turns out having those things isn't what made you happy. In the face of the rebellion, they take a perfect relationship with God, and yet, as they throw that relationship away, what we see in Genesis is that God defined for us those relationships. Remember we said it would be God and creation, God and humanity, and the humanity of creation. God makes it clear that even though humanity is rebelling, He's going to be with them the entire expanse of their life. Every day, every hour, every minute, and every second. So in their rebellion, God comes and addresses each of those who have rebelled. And he addresses first, remember we said he would do so in law, instruction, and then also in gospel and deliverance. But he speaks first to the serpent. The Lord said to the serpent. Now remember this. Adam and Eve are the ones that actually disobeyed. But to the serpent is told first. Now I think this is important that you hear this. God addresses the serpent and resolves that before he goes to Adam and Eve. And I, we'll get back to why that's so important. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what is sometimes called, big word for the day, the proto-evangelion. You're like, what? Do pastors make up these words? I guess on some level, you'd be like, well, maybe. Well, let's dissect it. Proto meaning first. Evangelion meaning the gospel. This is the first promise that God gives, and he speaks it while someone else is like, Any, anyone willing to admit they've been in trouble? A couple of you I need to take notes from because a couple of you have never been in trouble, so I, I will come to you and find out how it is you've never been in trouble. But for those of you who have been in trouble, you'll connect with this image. The image is, how many of you have brothers and sisters and we're in trouble? How many of you watched your brother or sister, older or younger, get in trouble and you listened in? Yeah, all right. So now you're really tracking me. So in this image, here's how it worked. You watch your sibling get in trouble and you sit there, either there behind a door or something else, and you go, I wonder how this is going to go down. So Adam and Eve have sinned against God and the serpent was involved in the deception. And then God goes, all right, serpent, here it is. And he starts yelling at the serpent, to which Adam and Eve are doing what? And they got their ears cocked and they're listening in. And as they're listening in, hear it again, the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, to which Eve goes, so what am I going to do? That doesn't sound bad yet. Continues. And between your offspring and her offspring, she goes, man, I'm I'm sounding a little more important. I was worried. I don't know how this is going to happen. And then it moves forward. He will bruise your head and you shall cross... And you shall bruise his heel. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The reminder is that Eve will have an offspring who's going to take that serpent and will actually crush his head. Before Adam and Eve are even addressed, the serpent's told, your days are numbered. Now that sounds pretty good. If you're about to get in trouble and you hear the biggest part of the trouble just had its solution, then God turns and does indeed speak in instruction and law to Adam and Eve. But what did Eve and Adam hear first? They heard what? Gospel. The first thing Adam and Eve hear is gospel. God says, I will deliver you. I will have a plan that is in place from this moment forth, and it's going to provide deliverance to you. (laughs) But then the other heel drops, so to speak, right? The other heel is, you did disobey, and there will be a consequence. The ultimate consequence will no longer be a problem because I am sending a promised one. We don't know the promised one's name yet. You know it. I know that. But at this point in Genesis 3, we just know promise is coming. The proto-evangelion is moving forward that God says, I am going to take care of my people. So the same God that spoke the world into existence when he said those words that brought creation to existence, he spoke to the serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and her offspring. He will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. And indeed, the serpent is always trying to come at Christ. Even in the temptations, you'll hear in Matthew chapter 4 and other places we hear of Satan always trying to come and attack at Christ, remove this plan. He will tempt prophets and others and try to remove the people of Israel away. We'll hear this developing story. But all along the way, the gospel is there that the promised one is coming. Any of you have a bigger brother? Okay, those of you who don't, you probably knew someone who did, and this was told to you, and you got scared by it. When you push the kid on the playground, or you take the dodgeball from someone, though I don't think we use dodgeballs in playgrounds in our lower, so things are always changing in life. But the point is this, I'm going to get my brother. 
and my brother's going to come and find you. So she said, you mean the fifth-grade brother? You have a fifth-grade brother? Yeah, I have a fifth-grade brother. You may have the dodgeball back. We are good here. I mean, it's funny. Life's different, but boy, it, it has this case. God's speaking to you not in anger and disgust, but he wants you to know that in the face of the challenge and strife that you have, you might say, not my brother's coming, my Lord is coming. My Lord has come. My Lord has done everything for me because I know the gospel is certainly true. To understand the gospel, we have to hear the law, the instruction of God, so that we might understand what the gospel is. Without there having been any decay, when Eve hears in, I'll put enmity between you, she'd be thinking, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. But she had a very keen ear when she knew God's going to come speaking to me next. She already knew what? She knew she'd broken the law. She knew that she had disobeyed God. And the gospel rang true in her ears in a way that it never could have had she not had the law already work in her heart. I assure you, when she heard my offspring is going to do good things. The moment she heard God then speak as well, problems in childbirth, and Adam hears the pain and toil of the ground and other struggles and strife that will happen, and that there will be this challenge with humans moving forward as we interrelate to each other, that those relationships we talked about of God and creation, God and humanity, humanity to creation, those relationships following Genesis 3 are what? They're ruptured. They're, they're not the way God intended them, but he's talking about how he'll bring them back. Well, we move forward then to this plan. The plan that God made in Genesis 3 talks to us about how he's going to move this good news, this proto-evangelion forward. How's this offspring going to come about? Because last we left it, it was just with Eve. For those of you who have at least read the front of Genesis, you're like, well, her offspring didn't seem to do all that well because one of her offspring killed the other one. It doesn't seem all that promising. This is how if we're short-sighted as human beings, we'd look at it and say, oh, it looks like a failure, so forget that, I'm not going to read further. Well, it takes quite a long time until we see the next big leap forward. And the big leap happens in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation. This is God speaking to Abram, a man living in Ur of Haran, a man who is just a man, <laughs> actually worshiping other things. He's not fully aware of who God is at this point. And God speaks to him and says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. See, through this man Abram, through this man the promise will move forward. In Genesis 15 we hear language that's not common to us this day. It's the language of cutting a covenant. I'm assuming most of you have not cut covenants. You may have signed a contract at some point or done something else. But to cut a covenant in this time period is a little different than how we do things today. Today, we're more comfortable with the idea of a contract or agreement, but Genesis cuts covenants between two parties. And here's how it normally functioned. Frequently, to seal a deal, you would take an animal sacrifice and you would cut that animal in half. And then you would actually, to cut the covenant, literally, you're starting to get the image here, to cut a covenant, you take the animal and you cut it. And then you would both walk through the animal as a sign that you have said, we're in this thing together. You both did this uh, in, in teaching parlance, we'd call this total physical response. You teach someone, here it is, do it, now actually do it. So if I were to say, all of you stand up, I'd make you, but again, we don't stand up in this part of the service, so I wouldn't dare ask you to do that. So there you are, so you're like, this is the great, this is where we enjoy the seats, we're good for that. But in total physical response, hey, you're going to have to enter into this. 
So as they enter into it, they cut this covenant. Here we are in Genesis 15. We begin the long journey in the scriptures that has us moving to realize what God's doing. So the covenant, turn with me to Genesis 15 so you can see this, because I want you to see it for your own eyes, and I hope this is something you take with you to realize what God's up to in this text. It's God's covenant, his agreement with Abram. Now you have him speaking to him, Ur of the Chaldeans in verse 7, he moves forward, continues to develop. And then from verse 17, verse 17 is where it gets rather interesting. You see, God said he would bless him. That's how 12 had started. 15 is a renumeration that he would indeed have offspring. Offspring that harkens back to Genesis 3. But now we get 15, verse 17 and 18. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark. Now, some of you maybe have read back a little bit. Where's Abram at this point? Anyone know what Abram's up to? You can look around in the scriptures. You'll see it's not far away. Hopefully none of you are doing this right now, but correct. He is sleeping. He is fast asleep. Now, if you're cutting the covenant, what did I say you needed to do? You, you got to move. You got to get going. So it's very important you realize the covenant about the offspring and the promise and who's going to be there. It's a covenant being cut between Abram and God. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So we cut the covenant. But who does all the moving? Well, you're like, I don't know. Who's smoking pot and who is flaming torch? You're like, I don't know those people. They didn't go to school with me. Of course they didn't. This is God using what's called a theophany, God's presence. This is God passing and doing what? The work of Abram and God. When it comes to God cutting the covenant, it was never about, well, Abram did the work. Who said he was going to bless the nation? God said, I will bless you. I will make you great. Even when it came to cutting the covenant, Abram as a human being was too... too tired, you attach whatever you want to it. He was too human to be able to live up to the requirements. And God said, I'll even do the covenant for you. I'll do that work. It's the reminder when it comes to us returning to God, we cannot get to God on our own. Abram doesn't become the father of many nations because Abram was great. No, Abram was selected by God for a unique task and God even did all the work of cutting the covenant. It turns out, I mean, I know it was a movie in, what was it, the 90s, While You Were Sleeping? Well, for Abram, while you were sleeping didn't mean you met someone on the subway or something else. It meant while you were sleeping, God was working. You see, as you come here to this place, Jordan Lutheran Church, on this Sunday morning, you are reminded God's been working, and God's been working for you. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates. God said, here's the covenant. You will have a land so that this promise might develop as a people grow. And this people will continue to grow and it will move forward. Next week, we will be in Exodus and you will go then from this promise of a nation growing, of a land that they would be in, along the way things happen, much like in your life. The people will wander, the people may get lost, the people may be sent to a foreign place they don't understand, and so this journey will continue. From a people who rebelled against God in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve, who are told first, they hear that gospel, that proto-evangelion, that Satan will be punished. Though they will have repercussion, God says, I'll be with you. Which is just what God does for us on this day. As he comes to us later in this service in his body and blood saying, I am here for you. This is my body. 
This is my blood given for you. God does not leave you alone on this journey. God leaves none of us alone, but he invites us to hear what he is doing, and I pray that you continue this journey with us as we walk through the scriptures that speak clearly of Christ each and every time we open that book. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.